and we confess that we need you to free us and to rid us of these things because they keep us from you. I pray that you would do that this morning in my heart and in the hearts of my friends, that you would use this time to speak your love over our our minds and our hearts once again because we need it every day throughout the day. We ask you to be with us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Justin met Tricia back in college at Lincoln Christian University in Illinois. And although he adamantly pursued her, asking her out twice a week for six months, she said no until one day she finally said, okay. Well, they eventually fell in love shortly thereafter, got married, and entered into full-time pastoral ministry. In 2005, three years into a growing church plant in Indianapolis, the bottom dropped completely out. It came out that Justin was having an affair with one of the women on his staff, who also happened to be Trisha's best friend. Justin and Trisha lost everything, absolutely everything. Have you ever done something you were really sorry for? I mean, something so bad that you deeply regretted it. Something that was so wrong that it seemed like there was no way to right it. Something that you couldn't believe you had done. If you ever have, what did you do next? What did you do next? What do you do when you fall? In that moment when you come face to face with the reality that you have just made a mess of things. What do you do? What do you do next? Now, whether or not you have stepped outside of your marriage, every single one of us is a fallen person and we've all made a mess of our lives. And whether we've blown it in some obvious external public way or some insidious internal private way, we're all broken. And we're all sinners in need of a savior. Failure is real and it's a part of life. And we can't get around that. But what we do next on the heels of our failure is a matter of life and death. What you do next will determine everything. You can be crushed under the weight of your guilt and shame as you try to carry your sin on your own back, or you can choose another way. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Hosea 6. If you need one, there's a blue one there in the back of the pew in front of you. We're going to look at verses 1 through 6 as we read before. And as we've been walking through the story of Hosea up until this point, we've been looking at God's love, different facets or aspects of his love, and we've seen the covenant love of God, we've seen the tough love of God, the tender love of God, and the redeeming love of God. So we've been, been in this book for four weeks. Today's the fifth Sunday, and we are going to be seeing really more, more, more what it is that God wants us to do in response to his love. And so the question we're going to wrestle with today is, how does God want you to respond to his love? So we're talking about what his love is. Now, what do we do in response to it? The, the topic really for this morning is repentance. 
And, and as we look at this text, we're actually going to start with verses 4 through 6 because they come logically and chronologically before verses 1 through 3. Josh was talking about how some, sometimes when we read the prophets, they confuse us, and that's because they're not always linear and logical and chronological. So we kind of have to jump ahead and then come back. So let's look at verses 4 to 6 real quick. It says, What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? Your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes early away. Therefore, I have hewn them by the prophets, I have slain them by the words of my mouth, and my judgment goes forth as the light. For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. What shall I do with you? Hear the voice of God here. This is the voice of a father who is frustrated with his children who are continually unfaithful. He describes their love like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes away early. And we probably get a little bit of what he's talking about. Here in Texas, if you go out in the morning, in the late spring or the early summer, and you see the dew that's on the ground, 15 minutes later, it's gone. Imagine what it was like there in the desert of Israel. Dew is there, and the next moment, it's gone. That's their love for God. And then in verse 6, God unpacks a little bit why he is impatient with them, why his patience is running thin. He says, For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God, rather than burnt offerings. So we've been seeing throughout this story that Israel is like Gomer, or Gomer is like Israel, however you want to look at it, continually unfaithful, running away from God, being, being unfaithful to him. They are whoring around on him is the word we see here. What did Israel do next? According to this verse, they tried to cover up their unfaithfulness with religious sacrifices, with outward rituals, without having an inward heart that was in love with God, that was committed and devoted to him. Somehow they thought that their religious activity would fix their sin. And what's interesting is that you and I aren't really any different than Israel. We respond to God's love with continued unfaithfulness. We're utterly unfaithful to him again and again. We wander into the arms of other lovers. And then what do we do next? We think we're sophisticated. We think we're, you know, really, we really got it all figured out. But we're actually a lot like Israel. We try to, un we try to cover up our, un our own unfaithful unfaithfulness with our own religious activity. So we do things like coming to church and finding ways to serve and giving of our time and our money, thinking that God will just leave that pet sin that we won't surrender to him alone. Thinking that we can somehow distract him with our own self-righteousness as if that will pay him off. Now, here's the problem with that. Our good deeds, according to God's word, are like filthy rags. Filthy rags. So our own efforts to clean ourselves up are like that towel that you left in the sink before you went on vacation for a month, and you came back in, walked in the door, and you were like gagging at the door, and you were basically looking at your spouse going, who's going to go get that thing? we got to get that out of the house. And you're like, you know, doing paper, rock, scissors to fight over it because you can smell it at the door. That's the stench of our own self-righteousness. Our own efforts to clean up our own 
sin and mess is like a dirty rag that's been sitting there for weeks. You cannot buy God off with your good deeds. No amount of self-righteousness will ever add up to cover your sin. Now, some of us, we actually respond to our sin by going a little bit different route or a little bit further. And what we do is we actually get to the point where we confess our sin. We admit to somebody else, or maybe even God or both, that we've done something wrong. But then, immediately after we verbalize that, we're like, okay, and then we move on like nothing ever happened. You know, once our mind is kind of free of that that cloudedness of knowing that we've done something wrong, we just go about life as if that huge thing that we just did has zero consequence. That's not how God wants us to respond to his love. He doesn't want us to stop with that. Now, others of us, we ride this train of dealing with our sin a little bit further, and we actually get to a place where we feel bad about what we've done. We're eaten up inside. We focus on this, these, these things or this thing that we've committed, this sin that we've, we've done, and soon after, guilt and shame come and pitch a tent in our heart, and they will not leave. And what's worse is we actually give them quarters instead of kicking them out. In today's New Testament reading that we read earlier is from 2 Corinthians 7, and I want to read the last, very, very last part of it. In verse 10... Uh, in, eight, in 8 through the beginning of verse 10, he's talking about godly sorrow, but then in verse 10, he talks about worldly sorrow, and he says this. He says, Whereas worldly grief produces death. Worldly grief produces death. And what I want to I argue today is that guilt and shame are the way that we can understand what worldly grief is. Guilt and shame are the fruit of worldly grief. They are from the pit of hell, and they lead to death. Now, you want to know how I know that this is true? Look at the life of Judas. This might blow you away. I had never even thought about this until this week as I was looking at this. I want you just to listen to this. In Matthew 27, we're picking up in the story after Judas has betrayed Jesus, after he's received his payoff of 30 Shekels of silver, this is what we read in verse 3 of chapter 27 in Matthew. It says, Then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, listen to these words, he changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned by, by betraying innocent blood. And they said, What is that to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the 30 pieces of silver into the temple, he departed, and he went, and he hanged himself. Now catch this, follow this. Judas realized what he did. He even changed his mind about it. He gave back the silver. He confessed with his mouth what he did, and he was riddled with shame and guilt. He felt horrible. But what did he do next? He went outside and he hung himself. Worldly grief leads to death. Guilt and shame lead to death. 
what we do next is a matter of life and death. And God does not want us to respond to his love with just confession and feeling bad. So don't stop at confessing your sin and feeling bad. That is not how God wants you to respond to his love. Because when we stop there, we miss out on what God has for us. We actually miss out on him himself. If we just stop with saying what we've done and feeling bad about it, we don't get God. We're stuck there. Okay? So that's not how he wants us to respond to his love. How does he want us to respond to his love? Go back to Hosea with me to the first verse of chapter 6. Very first first phrase there, come, let us return to the Lord. Let us return to the Lord. This, this simple sentence is how God wants us to respond to his love. He wants us to respond to him. He doesn't want us to respond and return to church. He doesn't want us to return to good deeds, return to anything else. He wants us to return to him. Repentance is entirely relational. It is entirely relational. It has everything to do with coming back to God. It's not about mere confession. It's not about just feeling bad about our sin. It's about coming back to God. And the first part of the the New Testament reading, I want to read it for you. It says this in in verses 8 through 10. Even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I see that that letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. And then this is key. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief produces death. So basically... Paul is teaching us that there's a right way and a wrong way to be sad. Have you ever thought about that? There is a right way to be sad, and there is a wrong way to be sad. And so what he's saying here is that the right way leads to brokenness, to repentance, and it leads to salvation without regret. Anybody here want to live without regret? I think we would all sign up for that, right? He says that if you want to live without regret, you've got to have the right kind of sorrow. And that's godly sorrow. But here's the thing. How do you know if you're experiencing worldly sorrow or godly sorrow? I mean, how, how, do, you, how do you figure this out? Well, I think it's a really, really simple way to figure it out. And you ask yourself this simple question. When it comes to God, which direction are you running? When it comes to God, which direction are you running? Are you running from him? Or are you running to him? And I want to take it a step further because you may be hiding from him and that's the same as running from him because you're not moving to him. You're either running to God or you're not. And here's the deal. That reveals whether you're experiencing godly godly sorrow or worldly sorrow because if you're running from God, you're experiencing worldly sorrow because your guilt and shame has convinced you that you can't be near God because you're dirty and he doesn't approve of you. You're running from him because you think that you can't be in his presence. Now on the flip side of that, if we're running to God, we're experiencing godly sorrow because 
in his love, he is convincing us that we are welcome in his sight even though we're dirty. That we're welcome in his sight even though we don't have it all together. And that is only the fruit of something that he can give. You see, repentance is a gift of God, and he loves to give it. We don't go and conjure it up by feeling bad enough. That's not how we get repentance. We get repentance by running to the feet of our Father and falling on our knees and saying, I need you, and I know that you love me. Help me believe it, even though everything in me says that I'm a dirty, despicable person who has zero chance to have your love. makes a world of difference. Now, there's another person in the Bible who was friends with Jesus who didn't necessarily always get it right, but he got this. And his name is Peter. Remember, Peter denied Jesus, and when the rooster crowed, he remembered that Jesus had told him, you're going to deny me. And what did he do next? He went out and he wept bitterly. Remember that phrase? Now, Peter's tears were tears of godly sorrow. And I want to tell you how I know that that's true. If you fast forward to the end of John's gospel, I believe, I'm I'm not going to read it for the sake of time, but you have that account where Peter basically says, hey guys, forget this. You know, he's... He's, he's feeling like a failure, and he's going, I, forget this following Jesus thing, you know, I mean, he died, whatever, and then he goes back fishing, and he takes some other disciples with him, right? Now, they're out fishing, and somebody calls out from the shore and says, hey, throw the nets on the other side, and you'll catch a bunch of fish. And then they do, and one of the disciples realizes that that voice was the voice of Jesus, Peter, as soon as he hears somebody say, that is the Lord on the beach, what does he do? He takes off his outer garment, he throws himself into the sea, and he swims to Jesus. He swam to Jesus, not from him, but to him. He knew that even though he had denied his friend, his Lord, his Savior, he was still loved by him, and he could be near him despite his The direction that you're running in relation to God makes a world of difference. It is a matter of life and death. And the good news is that regardless of what you've done, regardless of what I've done, regardless of what direction you've been running, it's never too late to turn around and run back to Jesus. It's never too late. So the the simple thing that God wants us to do in response to his love is just to return to our Father to return to our Father. As, we, as we've been seeing in the story of the prodigal son, he is looking for us, waiting to see us running home, and he will take off to meet us and embrace us. But we've got to turn around. Now, there are probably some of us here today that are still not convinced that repentance is real, and that it's possible, and that it's worth it. And God knows that, And so, in Hosea, he actually gives us some extra motivation for repentance. And even though his love and mercy are more than enough of a reason to repent, he sweetens the deal 
even more. Look at verses 1 through 3 with me. So he says, Come, let us return to the Lord. And this is key. For he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down and he will bind us up. After two days he will revive us. And on the third day he will raise us up that we may live before him. Let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. So God's motivation, his intention, his heart, during all of our running around and during all of our pain and our trials that he allows us to go through and during the discipline that he brings into our life is all that we would come home and that he would restore us with his blessings. And so here in these verses we see that, that there are actually three rewards of repentance. I'm going to just walk through and point them out. First of all, in verse 1, Hosea says that God has torn us that he may heal us. So the first reward of repentance is healing. It's healing. So when we repent and when we return to God, he promises to restore us back to health. Now, there are probably some of us today who are living unhealthy lives in various ways. Maybe we've got a relationship that's unhealthy. Maybe we've got finances that are unhealthy. Maybe you are in a place where even your thinking and the, the stuff in your heart is unhealthy because you've been living disconnected from God, riding the train of worldly sorrow in a circle, like a hamster on a wheel. When we return to God, he promises to restore us back to health and to bind us up, to start to do surgery on those parts of our heart that need it. If that's where you are today, return to the Father and ask God to restore you. The second reward of repentance is found in verse 2. Look down there, it says this, After two days, he will revive us. The second reward of repentance is, is renewal. That's the word I would use. If we repent and return to God, he promises to renew, to renovate our lives so that they are made better than before. Now, if you are somebody who finds yourself this morning and you look at your life and you realize that you've been disconnected from God, I imagine that the house of your life is kind of like a dilapidated building. You've probably got a foundation with cracks in it, and you can see them. You know that they're there. You've got walls that the joists and all the seams are not quite right, and so you can feel the cold and the wet working its way into your house. And your roof has started to leak, and you feel, especially on a day like today, that the water is coming in on you. All of that is God's mercy trying to say that your life is falling apart. Come back, and I will renew you. Come home, and I will renovate this thing in such a way that Extreme Home Makeover will be jealous and envious because I'm the master renovator, and I will do something that you would not believe. If that's you, ask God to renew you. The third reward of repentance is found in verse 2 as well. It says, after two days he will revive us up, revive us, and then on the, on the, on the second, second part there it says, on the third day... He will raise us up. So the third reward of repentance is resurrection. 
It's resurrection. When we repent and return to God, he promises to raise us up and give us life with Christ. Maybe you're dying a slow death due to an addiction. And you can fill in the blank with what your addiction is to. I'd rather not give it to you because we all find ways to get addicted to stuff. And a lot of it, it's in socially acceptable forms, but it's still addiction and bondage and slavery. Or maybe you've been 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 left dead in the water by materialism and greed and you are so wrapped up in your stuff and your finances that you are a slave. Or maybe you've been taken out by some of those really difficult to diagnose, self-diagnose sins, the ones that are so secretive and insidious, things like pride and racism and self-righteousness. Maybe those things are killing you, or maybe they've left you dead. The reality is that God longs to raise you up from the grave. He longs to give your heart new life. And when you come back to him and ask him to do that, he will be faithful to do that. He longs to give you an intimate relationship with him. Come back to your father and ask him to raise you up so that you can know him. I started this morning's sermon off with the story about Justin and Tricia. You remember, he had an affair with her best friend. They lost everything. What did Justin and Tricia do next? Well, thankfully, their story didn't end there. They ran to the father, and they began a two-month process of intense marital resuscitation through counseling. And then from there, they went on a four-year journey of spiritual and emotional restoration. And God completely turned their lives, their marriage, and their ministry around. Today, as, uh, four years later, they returned to ministry at Cross Point Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where he still serves today as a campus pastor. And they now have a marriage ministry to pastors and ministry leaders because of what God has done in their own lives. They've even published a book, if you're interested in looking, looking it up, it's called Beyond Ordinary, When a Good Marriage Just Isn't Good Enough. See, Justin had an affair and it ruined their marriage for a season. But he understood that what mattered more than what he did was what he did next. At that moment, yes, it still mattered, there were consequences, but what he did next was key, and he ran to the Father, and he asked God to restore him, he asked God to renew him, and to raise him up, and God has been faithful to do all of that. You see it in where their journey has led. They're not on the sidelines, not in ministry anymore, they're not divorced, they are still together, they are in ministry, and they are serving other families who are going through things that they've already gone through. That is what God does when we return to him. He turns our stories around. He raises us from the grave. And he enables us to bring that work into the lives of others. You see, Jesus went to the cross so that you and I might experience all that God has to offer us. He spilt his blood. He gave up his very body so that we could be raised from the grave with him so that we could be with God and experience all of the blessings that come from that relationship. 
So wherever you are today, no matter what you've done, no matter what direction you've been running, you can turn around and you can return to your Father. You can run to Him. He is waiting to receive you. His arms are open. It's not too late. A lot of times we feel like it is, but it is never too late. And for those of us, maybe, maybe you feel like, sometimes I think some of us think of repentance as like this one-time thing. Like, oh yeah, you know, I've already dealt with all of my stuff and now God and I are good. It's a continual thing. It's a continual thing. And, and an analogy I would have, uh, Lexi and I have noticed that our backyard has gotten a little out of hand. Um, over the last couple weeks, I looked out there and I was like, oh man, this is bad. Like, we, we thought about going out and buying blinds for one of our windows just so we didn't have to look at it. <laughs> or I did. Um, I think repentance is like mowing your yard. After a while, when you, when you just kind of wander off and you, you drift off into doing life on your own, it's like not mowing your yard and you see the stuff from the flower beds works its way into your yard and there's weeds and all kinds of stuff everywhere. We've got to continually come home because we're continually running off. And so I, I hope that you don't just think that this message isn't for you because, you know, you've already come to Christ, you've placed your faith in him. I need this message. We all need it every single day because our hearts are so prone to wander. So don't stop at confessing your sin. Don't stop at feeling bad about it. That's not enough. Return to your father because that's the only way that you will receive all of the things that God has for you, all of the things that really will make you possible to walk with him and love him and live life the way that you know you want to live it. Return to your Father. Ask him to restore you, to renew you, and raise you up. Let's pray.